0: so hello fellow innovators this is Patrick Emmons and I wanted to welcome you to the innovation and digital enterprise podcast where we interview successful visionaries and leaders giving you an insight into how they drive and support innovation within their organizations today we're going to be talking with Matt Kunkel Matt is the CEO and co-founder of LogicGate, a SaaS platform that operationalizes regulatory risk and compliance programs for organizations. Prior to LogicGate, he spent over a decade in the management consulting space, building technology solutions for Fortune 250 companies. It was during this time he learned the skills to realize his true calling, building world class companies that meaningfully affect the lives of others through user friendly technology. Matt is also recognized as a leader in the GRC-IRM space and regularly speaks and consults on risk and compliance topics. Recently, LogicAge has also been recognized as one of the best places to work in Chicago, which is really a great honor, especially when you want to start attracting the talent to help grow your business. So congratulations on that, Matt. Thank you. Yeah. So Matt, welcome to the show. Really excited to have you here. Thank you for having me, Pat. So if you don't mind, Matt, go ahead. I, we'd love to know more about LogicGate, how it got started, your vision for the future, you know, where you fit in the marketplace and the problems that you're solving.
1: Yeah, certainly. So as you mentioned, ultimately, LogicGate is a SaaS platform that really helps organizations operationalize those key back office activities within their regulatory risk and compliance programs. And what that really means, let's kind of break that down. Really what we are is a platform to help folks aggregate, quantify, and mitigate risk in their organization. There's really five key areas of risk that we focus on and within any organization. There's uh, third parties, right? Risk of having third parties, your data for them. There is uh, regulatory and compliance risk. There's IT-related risk. There's security-related risk. And then there's business unit-related risk. On top of our Logic A platform, we have 12 core applications based on our time in the consulting world that have deep domain content built into there. And then we have integrations with other uh, data providers to bolster kind of the, we call them risk vectors, but really they're data points to make those strategic risk-based decisions. So that's, that's what is widely known as GRC or IRM. GRC is Governance, Risk, and Compliance. IRM is Integrated Risk Management in here. The differentiator, the big differentiator that we have is the extensibility of our platform, the configurability of our platform, and the ease of use. And what I mean by extensibility is the ability for our the users, the actual business users in the risk and compliance group, to build other applications on top of our platform to capture other risk, we call them risk vectors, right? And it's really just risk areas in their organizations. Ultimately, the ROI here is process automation, Doing things with less resources, reputational damage decreases, and government fines. So really bottom line ROI. A great byproduct though of what we're doing is we're aggregating all of the different risk vectors in an organization on one centralized platform. And once we have that, what we'll be able to do is something called risk intelligence, right? And this is where we are taking the company and and really where I think the industry is going. And risk intelligence is this. How do we take all of these different risk vectors tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, map them to different business units in an organization, and then run an algorithm to quantify the total risk exposure of that business unit and prioritize those thousands of different risk vectors. So then I can go in and have a conversation with the CEO of an organization and say something like this, your distribution business unit is carrying a billion dollars worth of risk over these 10,000 risk vectors if you mitigate the top 5% of that, that billion dollar risk exposure goes to a half a billion dollars in there, whereby hopefully they can then take on more strategic risk and that mitigate those and take on more strategic risk in that business unit, whereby ultimately driving better business outcomes, which is top line ROI, not bottom line ROI. Traditionally, the space, the ROI has been all on the bottom line. We are trying to flip the script on that and take it to a place of... Using risk to actually be a revenue driver within an organization.
0: Risk as a revenue driver. Explain that.
1: Yeah. I mean, and that's kind of a game changing concept, right? That's trying to what we're doing. We're changing the game in the risk and compliance space such that we can have conversations, not just with the chief risk officer, the CISO, the chief information security officer, the chief compliance officer of organizations. But really take it to the CFO and the CEO of organizations to say, here is your total risk exposure, your risk posture in these different business units. Here is the different um, risk vectors that make up that total exposure. And if you just mitigate the top X percent, we can drop that exposure you know, dramatically in here. It all starts with the ability for them to understand the overall risk exposure of an organization. And that's a hard thing to do. It's a hard thing to do because there's so many different variables that go into this, right? Um, audit findings, third parties. The whole reason Target had their data breach is because of a third party that was involved. It wasn't Target. Target had one of the best information security programs in the world going on at the time. They got hacked via an HVAC unit that got that was connected to their servers that ultimately was the way that they got all the credit cards, right? Which was the third-party vendor in there. So those third parties is a huge risk. You know, your own information security, uh, your regulatory posture in there, incidents that happen in your organization, policy attestation. There's just so many different risk factors that need to be put in place and, and understood. And then on top of that, Each organization is massively different with how they view risk. Some are very risk-adverse. Some aren't risk-adverse at all. They're willing to take really big bets. So the algorithm that you have to run on this needs to be extremely dynamic and, frankly, based on a lot of um, feedback and data points from that specific business and how they approach risk, how they quantify risk, their exposure in there, and then really the different... um, those different risk vectors, which is really based on how they run their business. Interesting.
0: With everything being so unique for each customer, which makes sense, you know, from a consulting standpoint, right? You've got a framework of some sort. So to productize that though, right, that's got to be a whole different level.
1: Yeah. And that's where we took a lot of the lessons learned. So I worked at a large consulting firm called Navigant. And built a lot of GRC solutions for very large organizations. And what we found is really two things. And those are the core tenets of our platform today. And those two things were everyone does something wildly differently, right? And it doesn't mean one company is better than the other. It's just... That's how they grew up. That's the program and process that they put in place. That's their risk um, maturity level in here. So you have to make the technology bend to how the business actually wants to run their organization. So that's one thing. Really, really flexible technology that can get up and running in a very short period of time so they realize the ROI on it and they actually use it. And the second thing is ease of use, right? And ease of use comes in two ways. One is for the actual administrators of the platform, right? How do we make uh, a piece of technology such that a business user who really understands program and process can actually go and build that out and maintain the technology themselves? And two is you gotta make it really easy for the end user, what's called the first line of defense, to be able to actually put data in or else they're not gonna do it. And that's kind of what it's in our core DNA, right? Our why as a company, really has nothing to do around risk and compliance. It's just that we believe that flexible, easy-to-use, enterprise-grade technology really can change the trajectory of those organizations, but much more importantly, change the lives of the individuals that work in there because we're using technology to make their day-to-day much more effective and efficient.
0: Interesting. When I think about this type of stuff, I think about audits. I think about one-time events, but your platform is something that is there constantly? Is that, is that how that works? And it's constantly monitoring these different metrics?
1: Yeah. So it is there as a solution to automate a lot of those one-time event activities. I'll give you a great real-life example of this, right? Um, there's a, a very large lending firm in the Bay Area that came to us and said, hey, we've got a real problem with uh, third-party risk management. We got 500 vendors. We track those vendors on Excel spreadsheets. And sometimes we don't even know if they have insurance in place, right? So we said, no problem, we can help with that. We downloaded our out-of-the-box third-party risk management program to them. They get paired up with a customer success representative, which is someone to help implement. They all Our CS team all comes from a big four background and has GRC implementation experience in there. It took about 90 days to get them up and running and taking their methodology and actually um, tweaking our audit and it's all gooey drag and drop tweaking our application to meet how they actually wanted to run their program. But much more importantly, we trained them how to use the platform over that 90 days. They've subsequently built 10 other applications on top of our platform, one of which is their contracting and procurement process. Now this is where it's getting into the automation step. At one spot in the contracting and procurement process, it can call the third party risk application to actually send out those vendor questionnaires that they originally came to us for. Uh, put in all the appropriate information, automatically score those, and then move on the contracting spot uh, if it is under a certain risk threshold to the next step in the process. Whereby automating a lot of kind of the the manual activities, the back and forth email notifications that would have um, or is how they were doing things prior to the Logic A platform in there. There's countless examples of that. Really, it's how do we automate the mundane day-to-day tasks that need to happen, the quarterly audits that need to get kicked off, in there, the evidence collection that's in there, whereby giving these individuals in the risk and the compliance and the audit group and the regulatory group time back in their day to help make much more strategic decisions. Let's look at the data... What is the data telling us, right? Are there bottlenecks in the process? Are there things that we can be doing much more effectively and efficiently in there as opposed to tracking things down, kicking off uh, audits that happen on recurring time frequencies, things like that
0: so it, my mind is thinking uh software developer right like think about automating unit tests, creating scenarios where you have stability when you're deploying code and it sounds like this is that scenario where you've got so does this lead i guess from like a Target market, like when do people come to you? Right?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. We we really have customers all the way from the Fortune 50s of the world, big global brand names that you would know, down to, you know, a hundred person startup that needs to be PCI compliant because they process credit card data in their system or they work in the healthcare industry. So they have to be HIPAA compliant in there. So we really, it's a very horizontal platform. We work in pretty much every major industry vertical, obviously focused on the ones that you would think of in the space, which are the heavily regulated one financial services, healthcare. TTNM, which is tech, the technology uh, sector, is actually a really big one for us. And that's because of the emergence of the cloud, right? And most technology companies nowadays are using the cloud either to deliver their services or um, to run their technology. And if you're in the cloud, you need to be SOC compliant. You need to have information security programs, which is either um, ISO twenty seven thousand one or NIST. And Logic, it can really help operationalize those programs for for organizations.
0: Interesting. From an innovation standpoint, like I, I think about when you get, you know, those large organizations, right? They become so fear riddled, right? We can't do this because we don't know what's going to happen right? We can't have that kind of exposure. We can't. Does this give them a stronger platform to maybe adopt innovation, new ideas, try things out faster?
1: Oh, yeah, a 100%. And we're seeing that, right? A lot of what happens is customers will come to us and say, I need you to solve this problem. I have a core problem, right? Third-party risk management, policy tracking, incident management, Um enterprise risk management. And that's where those core kind of 12 out-of-the-box applications that we have. That's the, the landing spot, the beachhead into organizations. But more and more, what we are seeing is our customers are actually building innovative applications on top of our core platform to help aggregate, track, and mitigate risk in different areas within their organization in there. So it truly is. I mean, really what we're trying to do here at the end of the day Is democratize application development and give business users that really understand program and process and what they need to put into place in their core business area a platform to use technology to do that much more effectively and efficiently.
0: It's an interesting space, right? Everybody needs it, right? Everybody's it's top of mind for every CIO. Nobody wants to be on the cover of the Wall Street Journal for the next hack. Even though there's almost an assumption that like it's going to happen again, is that is that part of the buying barrier? Is that what people hesitate on? Or
1: well, I think a lot of people when I talk to, especially very on when I talk to investors about this, they're like, risk and compliance. Really, is that a? It doesn't seem like a very sexy space to be in. And I think ultimately the reason why is just the lack of buying power early on in this space, right? The the risk and compliance group, the CIOs, ten even five years ago, are kind of the redheaded stepchildren of an organization. You're not a revenue center, right? You're not driving profits for us. You're a we have to do this because of X, Y, Z reason in here, and it's fine. So you're you're at that point selling on fear and doubt, right? More and more, what has happened over the last five years is there's so many tailwinds in the space with things like uh, privacy issues, GDPR, CCPA the whole Facebook debacle and the privacy issues that they had, Uh, the emergence of the cloud. And what that has meant is more people are putting data in the cloud, more people, more organizations are working with vendors who are cloud hosting providers that then put their data up there. So you have to have really robust third-party risk management programs. You have to have really robust internal programs around the uh, programs that you are putting in place from an information security perspective in there. And then the other one is just the massive amount of breaches that have happened, right? With all that data in the cloud, that, that is a great ripe, rich target for hackers, state actors, and nefarious people that want to do bad things with your data. So more and more you're getting... CEOs of organizations, actually, we just did a study. It is the cyber risk is the number one thing on the minds of CEOs. It's not revenue generation. It's literally cyber risk in there. Um, So more and more, these folks, the CIOs, the uh, chief risk officers, the chief compliance officers are getting out of the redheaded stepchildren world of an organization into we have a seat at the table because what we are doing is hyper, hyper critical to value protection in an organization. Now, value protection is much different than value driving. And that's where ultimately we, Logicate, want to take the industry is how do CISO's chief risk officers help drive value in the organization, not just protect the value that they have in the organization.
0: I think that's fantastic because I do think half the time when, we, when you're dealing with the technology, you want to be innovative, you want to do new things. Historically, the CISO has to say no a lot, Right. And if there's a way that you could actually measure that, so that the CISO doesn't have to be fear-addled at all times, and can be a strategic element of like, no, we're if you just change it up or we do something slightly different, you know, our risk exposure is to a point where we go, no, this is good. We can yep. live with this kind of risk. I think it's amazing that would. And you mentioned, you know, uh, it's not sexy, and I said, well, welcome to Chicago. Yeah. I mean, part of it is like why we this whole podcast exists, in my opinion, is. I, somebody said a long time ago that Chicago is where technology goes to work, right? So it's, it's interesting to me how much the B2B plays here in Chicago that don't have like the, the mammoth scale of like an Uber or like mm-hmm. a B2C play, but these are the businesses that other businesses need to use to grow. And like what you're doing is, you know, in many people, in my own opinion, this is going to be a secret weapon for a lot of people to get beyond that initial growth stage where you can stay aggressive about growth, right? You can stay innovative. You don't have to, you know, the protection, right? And yeah. the protection isn't the 80% of your mindset, right? Totally. You know, and I, I wonder about the CEOs with, uh, so what do you think the CEOs with their focus on cybersecurity? Part of that is the threat is real, obviously. But I also wonder is it the economy is just performing for so long where it's like yeah we're going to make money. Nobody's really worried about making money right now.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think you hit on the point that I think is is the most important one there, which is they want to feel I think the reason that it's number 1 and top of mind is they don't have that warm fuzzy comfort feeling of I feel good that our cybersecurity program or our third-party vendor program or that our internal controls that we have in place are buttoned up and tight. Some of it is just they're novices at it and and it's an education process that the industry is going through with them. But I think some of it is again, you know, CEOs of the organization care about one thing, the top line and the bottom line, and that's what they speak I speak in that, right? So it's what do we do to help drive those two ROI dimensions? And historically it's all been bottom line in here. It's you know, we're not going to get fined. It's we're not going to have a big data breach. It's we're going to do things more efficiently in here. But like I was saying, again, how do we take that conversation from, you know, bottom line to the top line and being able to say, um, you know, this is we can really predict different risk elements within your organization in here. Going back to a point that you touched on here in Chicago is I totally agree with you. I mean, Chicago is a community. The, especially the tech community, of B2B SaaS innovation. Those, if you look at the investors in this community, and I know a lot of them very well, a lot of them are on our cap table, that you know, that's what they get excited about, right? It's very predictable. It's SaaS revenue. It's easy to understand in here. And I think it's a... Chicago is an amazing, amazing place to build a business, and there's a couple reasons behind that. One is just the talent that we have in here. If you look at the geography of where Chicago is, you've got one of the best computer science programs in the world in the University of Illinois, right down the road. You've got obviously that, that
0: must be hard to say for yeah. you a little bit.
1: Being a being a Michigan fan, <laughs> I hey, I agree. Hey, they're close too, right?
0: They're, I'm just saying I yeah. appreciate the honesty. It's yes. good to have self awareness.
1: <laughs> Michigan's no yeah. slouch. Michigan is no slouch from a computer science at all. program at as well. All. And nor is Northwestern, and nor is the University of Chicago, right? Right. And nor is U of I, or um, UIC, UIC, yeah, Yeah. they're all right here. So we have a a really strong talent pool. The problem is, this talent pool is being pulled out of Chicago to the coastal firms because these talented kids, they get fascinated by, I want to work for Uber, I want to work for Facebook, I want to work for Twitter, I want to work for these giant big tech companies that are out there. And what Chicago doesn't have is that anchor marquee um, tech company that's in here. You can argue uh, Groupon is historically, historically, that was yeah. that's the big one yeah. in here. And I think more and more you're getting some. You can see Uber is starting to move talent in here and, and opening a big office. Um, McDonald's is moving their office downtown to try to get because they have a huge digital innovation campaign going. Um, you know, so I think they're trying to, but it's it's almost the chicken and the egg concept. You need talent mm-hmm. and we can talk about this, but it's it's literally the core of any business. You need amazingly talented people to grow big businesses and amazingly talented people want to work for amazing companies. So do you first get amazingly talented people to build amazing companies in Chicago or do you get amazing companies to come into Chicago, which will then uh, by virtue attract that talent in here. So it's kind of the chicken and the egg dichotomy of, of what goes first. And I think, um, you know, our, our mayor has some things to think about, about how we attract and not just attract, but retain the talent that is in the Midwest here to stay at home and to work for companies in here that will be the next Facebooks, Ubers, Twitters, just in our ecosystem.
0: Yeah. I, I something, uh, same concept, great schools. How do we retain the talent? How do we keep our good kids here? Right? Because clearly, those on the coast aren't doing so good at raising their kids. So they got to come steal ours. <laughs> right? So maybe they shouldn't have raised such brats and maybe they'd have more talent to, at mm-hmm. home. But so they're stealing our kids. Uh, and I, I I see that where there's a lot of, you know, you mentioned Uber and there's other organizations that are, you know, I think Google has two buildings here now. Mm-hmm. Right? But the leadership of those organizations are not here, right? And I think that's what ambitious, aggressive young people are looking for. It's like, hey, I want to be at that. We're, we're in the transition, to your point. And it's critical for us to have that where we're going to have more success stories where people are going, yeah, I, I can make a career there and I can, I can, I can make it, an impact.
1: Yeah, 100%. And again, I think it comes down to it's the people. The biggest lesson that I've learned in starting and growing a company and taking it, you know we, we really are kind of an inflection point. We grew from 25 employees going into 2019 to now we're 110. So in about a 12 month window, you know 5xing almost the size of the company in here. And it comes down to the hardest part of my job is finding and hiring amazingly talented people because it it is a war on talent out there. It's not just the Chicago firms that's getting pulled out from the coast. I think a really big thing is maintaining the ability to hire to the core values that you have in the organization, right? And establishing them very early from a company perspective and living and breathing those and leading from the top for myself and our executive team, that not just by what we say, and believe me, we say it a lot to our employees what they are, but living it day to day from an actions perspective and having those core values as the things that actually drive the decision making mechanism within our company, right? So, one of the big ones is empower customers. Is this something good for our customers? Our product people think about that all the time. Okay, we should probably do that, right? Doesn't mean we're going to. Build every, you know, we've got hundreds of customers. We get feedback ideas every day. It doesn't mean we're gonna build every single thing, but do we have critical mass? Yeah, we should build this for them, right? Be as one is another one, which is a big thing, is everything that we do is about the team at Logic Gate. We win together, we lose together, we have the mantra of revenue is everyone's responsibility in the organization, down to the engineers that we have in here, right? And we celebrate together, um and we celebrate team wins, not individual wins. So we have these core six core values. and we really we talk about them a lot, but more importantly, by our actions across the team, those core values are shown. and then they bubble up, right? And then it's well, people shout out other people for living those core values within the organization. And that just makes it sticky, and it gets more sticky, and it gets more sticky in there when people actually see it in action and working, and then people want to do it more and more, and then we want to hire people that have those same core values and bring them in, and that's what drives the culture within the organization. I I would really say that's another big kind of lesson learned for me in starting this company with my two co-founders is that... Having some of the advisors that we have, I mean, we have really strong strategic advisors around us. Jeff Wiener, the CEO of LinkedIn, Mike Yamsen, the CEO of Relativity, Scott Dorsey, who is the ex-CEO and founder of a company called ExactTarget, which he sold it to Benioff and Salesforce for a couple of billions. So a pretty good guy, knows what he's doing in the SaaS space. You know, those guys really provide a lot of strategic guidance. But from a culture perspective, you can brute force your way to a lot of things if you have the right people in the right seats at the right time that all are kind of focused on what you're doing. You then sprinkle on the strategy magic of having those guys involved, and that's how you become and and can potentially build a billion-dollar business.
0: It's very interesting. You go from entry-level hiring to People who have sold off billion dollar businesses, right? Have had impact on the economy that is sizable and noticeable. So there's a there's a continuity thread there of from what uh, I'm picking up of, you know, surround yourself with with people of the right culture, right? People that celebrate the things that you celebrate. They, they really love the core values. So when you're Reinforcing these—is there anything? I know we talked previously about you know a Slack channel and things like that. Are there other things that you're doing in the organization to really, you know, culture is a thing that you can feel, you can smell, yeah. but you can't really see, right? Yeah, and so you can you can you can see it and you can feel it and touch it and smell it. But is, are there things that you guys are doing that to really reinforce that? Because going from 25 to 100, like five x, right? Having been an organization nowhere near that scale and the challenges of even like 2X, you have the potential of having a completely opposite or at least different culture being injected in your organization, right? So 5X, I would imagine that culture reinforcement is going to be a critical element to make sure that they are engaging and embracing what you have done historically, what the organization's built on. So what do you think is the most successful thing that you've done? to reinforce that kind of uh, core values, that culture, that that right way to act, behave, you know, be a logic gate person.
1: Yeah. There's a couple of them in there. Frankly, it starts before they're even a logic gate employee. It starts in the hiring process. So we have a pretty baked out robust hiring process that we spend a lot of time mapping the core values of our organization to that individual and ask very specific questions of them to say, you know, are they a team player? We call it B as one right? Do they embrace their curiosity? Are they someone that wants to raise the bar for themselves and challenge mediocrity in here? So it's it starts before they're even an employee in looking for those core values in that person through the hiring process. And not in just their work life, right? What they've done in the work, but their personal life, right? What do you like to do outside of work? Do they demonstrate those core values? So that's one. Two is, and you kind of touched on it, It's just a constant drumbeat of reiterating the core values, highlighting them, and then also making it that it's not just the executive team that's talking about them, it's the actual employees that are bringing them up, talking about them, giving kudos, we call them shout-outs, to other employees for living specific values and examples of how they do that. And then obviously having some sort of, you know, gamification around it and what we do that is by every month we have something called the goat of the month award right the greatest of all time for that month award um there's a little goat it's our it's our LogicGate mascot actually is the goat and every month the company votes on for that month who was the employee that demonstrated our core values the best and they get a little award they get the goat for the month um and it's it's coveted people want that right people want to be recognized as hey I live and breathe these values in in our organization, and that just proliferates right um, through throughout everyone.
0: Interesting, yeah, I I think that's really great, and I I agree, hundred percent. QA begins in the hiring process, right? It's a, you can you're going to fix a lot of things after you you know these other people get it, want it, have the capacity to do it,
1: yeah, or they don't. Right. I mean, totally. It's it's a lot of people when we hire them, we are like, listen, I don't know anything about GRC. I've never been in this space before. And we were like, listen, if you embrace your curiosity, we can teach you all about risk and compliance and methodologies and best practices and, and why it's important to people. But what do you have in your DNA, right? Are you a curious person so that I can teach you about it? Do you care about customers in there? Do you want to understand their problems and their pain points in there? Are you a team player, right? Are you going to put, you know, we before me in there? And are you going to look out for the company before yourself in there? So if they have that just purely in their DNA, the teaching part is easy.
0: Yeah. No, I 100% agree. I used to go after like the best technical talent, right? I want to get the the whatever. We spent, and I analyzed, we did about 80% of our interview process was around technical assessment, right? Mm-hmm. That did not make them want to work with customers. Mm-hmm. Right. So then I started to realize I started saying that we needed to find like it started, I started looking at like who was really successful. And it wasn't the technically, some were technically superior, some were not. But the job was more of a vehicle for them to satisfy what their personality wanted to do. Right. So the service to others, which is big for a consulting firm like ours, right? Mm-hmm. We're constantly solving other people's problems. So if you don't derive value or joy out of that, it's not going to stick. Yeah. And then you'll want to become a better whatever your role is because you're fulfilling something that actually makes you happy. The vehicle by which for many was building software, that yep. kind of thing. So, for sure. but I do want to, I know we got just a few more minutes left. I do want to talk about like that. How did you get all these amazing people on your advisory board? Cause they're board of directors, mm-hmm. you know, that's amazing.
1: Yeah. Well, Think it boils down to a couple of things. One is never say no to anyone for a coffee conversation. I will <laughs> I do so many coffee meetings, it's ungodly. But I think it's part of the role of the CEO is to really expand the network of the company. You are kind of the the focal point of the network of the company, right? Mm-hmm. So it's you never say no to a coffee meeting because it's not, it's someone can introduce you to someone, can introduce you to someone, can introduce you to Jeff Weiner. Right, um, so it, it doesn't happen overnight. In there, uh, I will give a plug and a shout out to TechStars. So they're they're a program a business accelerator that we went through in Chicago that really um, that networking effect they amplified that. Very, very much. Right. So the first month of Techstars, I got to meet about a hundred different influential people in the Chicago tech community. Wow. One of which was Mike Gampson, who was the head of sales at LinkedIn at the time, who connected me with Jeff. So that kind of um that network effect really works there. And then B is, you know, I think it's just you gotta be um authentic and open and honest and authentic about yourself, your company, what you're doing. And those type of people, I think it just that Authenticity really resonates with the the Dorseys of the world, the Gamsons of the world, the the Wieners of the world, right? And you know, it's also you got you got to have a good company behind you that they want to get behind and spend their time and put their money behind um, as well. So and that really comes down to very early stage two things. Uh, I got a big problem to solve in a big market, and you are the people to do it. And we just happen to have a very big problem. I mean, the risk and compliance space, if you believe the analyst, twenty eight billion was spent in that space. So very unsexy, very, very big, though, a lot of money going into that space. And then two, is we did it for in the consulting world for ten years. So we were, you know, we knew the problem intimately inside and out. And we really believed, and I think it's kind of showing now, is that we are the folks. To solve this problem and really game change how folks are are running their risk and compliance programs.
0: One of my favorite movies is The Founder about uh, you know Ray Kroc and and uh, starting a McDonald's and there's most people you know if you haven't started a business you haven't done these things. They at one point they say oh you know we're an overnight success thirty two years in the making. Yeah, it's <laughs> like, exactly right, you know, and that's really how it usually manifests.
1: Yeah, right? for sure. So
0: you you you've been doing this for a decade right? You're a pro, you know what you're doing, you know the people, you know the places, you know everything. And then you took it and you went to the next level. And uh, honestly, congratulations on a great success. This is awesome. I know you guys are getting a lot of well-deserved recognition here in Chicago. You're you're really becoming one of those stars in, in our tech space of you know a hot place to work. So anybody who's listening, I know they're hiring. Uh, you should check it out. But make sure you check out their core values before you submit that resume because apparently they're going to find out.
1: I love it. I love mm-hmm. it. Thank so, you very much for the the kudos. And uh, we have a lot, a lot to do left. And we have big um, aspirations for what we want to do in this industry and not just in the risk and compliance industry, but what we want to do in the tech sector specifically in Chicago, but really how do we how do we have another one of those Groupon type companies out there within our tech community that can really bolster and put Chicago on the map.
0: Awesome. I, I, we're all pulling for you.
1: Love it. Thank you all so right. much. Really, really appreciate the time. On.
0: Yeah. And I also wanted to uh, thank our listeners. We really appreciate everyone taking the time to join us. Uh, If you'd like to receive new episodes as they're published, you can subscribe by visiting our website at dragonspears.com slash podcast, or find us on iTunes uh, or on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. So thank you again, listeners, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. This episode was sponsored by Dragonspears and produced by Dante32.